Welcome to Good News, Bad News, the Libertarian Christian Roundtable, where every other week we challenge the status quo and give you the libertarian Christian analysis of what's happening in your world. Welcome to another episode of Good News, Bad News, the Libertarian Christian Roundtable. With us today, we have uh, three of our regular four, and we are joined also by our special guest, Jason Rink, who is on the board of the Libertarian Christian Institute with us, as well as being an active film producer and a whole lot of other crazy crap that I don't have time to explain. Uh, But Jason is is here to talk a little bit about the LP with us uh, later on today. But first, probably the hottest button news of the day and of the week and probably of the month is the trial of none other than Mr. Rittenhouse. Uh, the, the young man who at 17 years old was in, was it Kino, Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin? And am I getting that right? And, Kenosha. And Kenosha, mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, and ended up, uh, well, in the, in the midst of riots and of a whole lot of violence took place and ended up, well, taking two lives and, uh, and injuring another person. But what's going on here? So with, let's just throw this out there because there's so much to talk about here. Carrie, kind of bring us up to speed on what's been happening this week. Yeah, well, um, you know, you have the mainstream media story and then you have facts. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So the mainstream media has been, you know, telling us for a very long time that Kyle Rittenhouse is uh, a white supremacist, is a murderer, is, you know, uh, might have otherwise been a school shooter. Um, you know, they've they've really blown this thing up. Um, so just to refresh everybody's memory, this is like you said, Norm, a 17 year old boy, he's 18 now, 17 um, year old boy found himself um, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, I guess he lives on the the border there or something like that. Yep. But his mom took him to Kenosha. His plan was to, uh, um, you know, provide first aid services to people and, um, you know, keep himself sa- safe. And he happened to be carrying around an AR-15, which he was trained on. Um, and so at any rate, these, these were very violent riots, um, that were going on around him. And, um, you know, the news stories that came out were very unclear, but since we've had the, uh, the testimony in the case, what we're finding out is that, um, you know, Kyle was really acting in self-defense, um, at least in so far as what we can tell from the testimony. Now, what's interesting about the story, though, is a couple of things. Number one is the prosecution's case has been very supportive and favorable of of Rittenhouse, Um, which is which is funny because, well, you know, you would think that they would be trying to charge him with murder, not, um, you know, not not giving him all of the fuel to defend him. And that's certainly what they're doing. But the other piece the the other piece is that the uh, prosecutor and I forget his name, um, but the prosecutor and the judge really got into it um, over some of the tactics that the prosecutor was using, one of which was want, you know, he wanted he wanted the jury to um, render a judgment about his uh, post arrest silence. So basically, you know, that he, he wanted the jury to um, judge him based on 
his right to remain silent. Uh, which is total which, madness. Which is, I mean, yes. I, I mean, yeah, if, if you heard what the judge said, like he's yelling, he's yelling at this prosecutor. So uh, really, the this, this story has more to do with the prosecutor and the judge and the fact that the prosecution side is making it clear as day that, that Rittenhouse um, acted in self-defense. I mean, Rittenhouse even um, testified um, uh, himself, which is a strange tactic a bit, a bit to unusual do. In a murder case. Yeah. Yes, very unusual for for uh, for the accused to testify, but he testified. Um, and I saw some legal analysis from a Canadian lawyer that I've been following. Um, I think his name is, or his YouTube name is Viva Fry. Um, but he was just saying that Rittenhouse's testimony was like spot on. It was the best that it could that it could have been in that situation. Um, and that's not even the story. The story is that the, the judge was screaming at the, the prosecutor for doing things that he knows he's, knows he's not supposed to do. So that's that's the, the short story, I guess. You so could say. One question I have just about, you know, Rittenhouse testifying on behalf of himself is that again, that is very unusual. So you have to ask kind of, well, why did the defense, why did his, his defense attorney either per, like kind of permit him to do it per se or encourage him to do it? And mm -hmm. it, it had to be because of this very thing, right? That he actually can kind of acquit himself very well in front of the, in front of the, the court, in front of the jury. And, yeah. uh, and just goes to show like that that's, you know, that's where, that's where this is at. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the media spin on this has been absolutely heinous. And yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, is it possible that he really isn't? Yes, it is. we, we can't completely negate that possibility. Uh, but it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to be the case based on the evidence that we've seen thus far. And of course, we, yeah. you know, there's more to more to go, of course. Uh, but it is unbelievable to see just the way in which I mean, this is almost a red pill, blue pill type of situation here. Just look at the way this is being spun. And you can't possibly conclude that there is anything but you know bias from the from the highest ups in the media in this respect yeah yeah it's been it's been pretty interesting watching this whole thing unfold um you know i didn't pay close attention to the news stories that came out because they were just so inflammatory and just, just bonkers I, yeah I mean, absolutely the off the wall about him is just yeah <laughs> seriously <laughs> yeah so you know rittenhouse I mean, he carries himself very well, um, and he he knows enough. You know, part of his testimony was to point out that after he sh after he shot these two men in what he claims to be self defense, and seems to be that way, he went to the police to turn himself in. Like, yeah. if he was a murderer, I think that's even probably one of the reasons why the defense wanted him to testify was because if he's a murderer, why would he turn himself in? Um, so at any rate, he's just that smart and devious. Yeah. Oh, come on. Um, right. Something the, that, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, no, I was going to say something on the whole media side of things, you know, and I know that Twitter's not real life, but. Um, like, <laughs> Thank you, Chappelle. I, oh, wow. Wait a second. <laughs> that was a great quote. There, there were Twitter there is were, not real life. Yeah. There were there were two there were two uh, posts I saw today that I thought were really interesting. One was somebody who was def definitely a progressive, and she said, 
I'm highly educated and reasonably perceptive. And it was only today that I learned that Kyle Rittenhouse victims were white. Yeah. So it was like, and there was people <laughs> in the in the chain who were like, yeah, I, wait a minute. I didn't. And so because of the context of how this happened and because of the coverage that surrounded it, like mm -hmm. m there's a good number of people who didn't realize that the people he shot weren't like people of color. Like, so right. people had this crazy perception. And then I saw this other post by um, this guy, Bill Ackman, who's a Democrat hedge fund manager, kind of a regular you know, guy, but he, he supports the Democrats. And he posted on his Twitter about how him and his wife, I think, watched the trial. And he was like, you know, this Rittenhouse guy seems like he's innocent. And then he posted a whole chain about it. And then at the end, he said, just got a call from the media asking if my Twitter account was hacked. That is, the reporter could not conceive of the idea that I could believe <laughs> Kyle is innocent because I am not a right winger. Crazy. So this is the I think this is the place where this is the context of this case in a lot of ways because of when it originated in the BLM riots, all of the passion and all of the momentum around that. And now it's happening. It's happening now. You know, it's it's just mm -hmm. it's interesting. There's a lot's changed. A lot's gone on since these happened. And so I do think you have people, though, who are watching it and taking it in. But at the same time, you definitely have people with their minds made up on either side of the aisle that it's not going to matter. Um, mm -hmm. Some people just want him to fry because it's like, yeah. why is why is he walking around with a scary gun? You know, yeah, so. I I saw I saw a tweet from some blue check person. I don't know who she was, but she said something like, "So one of the one of the people that Kyle shot um, had just been, if I'm recalling this correctly, had just been uh, let out. Was it jail or the hospital? Anyways, he was supposed to be a known ch uh, child um, uh, pedophile predator. Yeah." And so she makes this tweet. Oh, well, if you're going to shoot, you know, one child predator, why don't you shoot all child predators? And was like, <laughs> wait, 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 what? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's it, it's it, it's interesting to see how many the the left who really, really, really wants their narrative to follow through are now having to bend over backwards in order to. To serve it yeah. to, to serve it and it's and i want to say one of the things that has been pointed out several times now is that even joe biden himself was calling kyle a white supremacist they were calling him yeah, a domestic, domestic terrorist. terrorist they were yeah. calling him all of these things and this Don't is forget that yeah right? and this is That's this a... is probably one of the more um you know, meta issues that we need to be paying attention to is the politicians coming out and uh, kicking up a ruckus um, without our actual judicial process taking place and being able to sort out the facts. And that is dangerous, absolutely dangerous. Can I just I would I just want to say this that that point about Biden. Look, I am I am against all presidents including the next one however the smartest campaign ad that that a, that a presidential candidate could probably put out about this would be to just to just paste that tweet up mm -hmm. and then and then have another clip once this all goes down and um, because i i do think that rittenhouse yeah. will probably be acquitted but then I, you know well, then 
video clip after that of Rittenhouse acquitted or something like that, and it just fade to black. This, so this, I, uh, this I hope he's acquitted by dust and such. <laughs> I hope he's acquitted because one of the other uh, stories that are coming out are that there are people who want to or have started to try to intimidate the jury. Oh, that's, um, yeah. Yeah. So um, that's not good. So I hope and pray that the jury makes the right decision. It seems obvious that Rittenhouse is innocent. He, innocent. he acted in self-defense. Um, you know, we're not we're not judging whether or not it was wise for him to go in the first place. <laughs> that's that's a completely different story. Yeah. Um, and certainly one that the prosecution is trying to spin. Um, but the fact is, is he had the right right of self-defense. It seems that he acted that way. And I hope the jury d makes the right decision. Yep. All right. Well, is if uh, that seems like a pretty good way to wrap up that segment. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, there's another there is another topic, though, that is definitely at the forefront of everybody's mind right now. And that's uh, the, the one thing that is hitting your pocketbook over the next year. And that is inflation. <laughs> and it hurts. Who, who knew who knew that if you if you started injecting a lot of money into an economy that you might see inflation down the line but our our local economics researcher and expert in all such things mr liquidity himself aaron sepulveda quay yeah <laughs> yeah that's a new one you're, you're now you're gonna actually we should call you dr liquidity down the line once, that, once that's solidified you're gonna be dr liquidity <laughs> dr like liquidity. That's, that'll be your your uh your super villain name maybe instead i don't know whatever but aaron tell us what what has been going on in the world of inflation here because i think there's a lot of misconceptions uh, certainly the federal reserve doesn't seem to know what it is so why don't you explain to us what's going on <laughs> too much spending relative to the capacity to produce which is the simplest you can get. Like we can easily come back and go spend money because there's money available and there's no conceivable way that we can come back to produce like before the pandemic. This is straightforward as it is. Um, if you guys want me, I'll, I'll try to show you guys um, some, some graphs, uh, how quickly spending just came back up and, um, and production can come back up. I mean, you can talk about all the political issues behind it, uh, fuel uh, restrictions on oil uh, on oil production but it this was completely predictable that if we we can easily just go back and spend but we cannot just go back and produce as before because politics uh pandemics everything lockdowns everything you can imagine so this was this was perfectly this was perfectly predictable so that's that, that that's what we're gonna have behind it and the literally the liquidity is available to get all the spending go uh, rise very quickly, but that doesn't equate to uh, increasing pr productive capacity at anywhere anywhere near the same rate. Okay, so if I if I understood you right, what you're saying is that so we saw per product productivity go down as a result of the pandemic. People are not working. There's a lot of stuff getting shut down uh, in the, in the totally unjust manner of the lockdowns and so on. We need more and, space than before. Okay. Yeah. And so as things are ramping back up, they, you know, there was this, in, there was this intent that, oh, well, if we just inject more money into the economy, a very Keynesian idea, of course, well, then we can stimulate demand and then that will bring people back into production. Is that how they're thinking? That's <laughs> no, the theory. <laughs> usually when, when it comes to like, forget about theory, just like what actually happens in, in, in the real world is just, 
Um, everybody wants the Fed to expand the balance sheet so that there's enough liquidity to make payments, whatever that's are outstanding, uh, so they get paid. That's it. Okay, mm -hmm. but when you do pay debts, which I guess that will be good, that's going to uh, leak into the real economy. And it's as simple as that. You can eat, honestly, it's not so hard, no matter how much physical distancing we're practicing and uh, mask and lockdowns, whatever you want. It's not hard to go spend and then come back home or just order stuff online. So spending can just uh, beat, up, uh, beat up prices very quickly with no connection whatsoever with the production with uh with the production structure yeah. and and that was completely predictable that this was going to happen so so why why then is the federal reserve so confused <laughs> <laughs> i i'm trying i'm i'm actually wondering that uh exactly what is it that there i know for sure that the specific statements are we are going to be much more tolerant to inflation than ever i guess 70s stuff whatever they openly said a yes for sure so that in itself uh beats up prices because the expectations of a future inflation immediately yeah. immediately rise so just there you already have one problem at the productivity issue we need more space we need more time uh we need more what we call real resources that ha that don't happen to be that don't happen to be that don't happen to be money so we sure. don't have them because all of the politics lockdowns pandemics and so on and so forth. So I don't think that they're surprised mm -hmm. by the numbers. I, I totally doubt it. And and I know that many economists, including if you guys get to um, to Twitter, I think one of the best economists to follow will be Lawrence White. Uh, trying to make the case, guys, actually, we already came back to original rate of, of, of spending them before very quickly. Right. Uh, we do have to start lowering the, uh, the the monetary expansion as soon as possible. They they try to taper, which means just in case you guys ever heard the word taper, mm -hmm. is instead of creating, I'm gonna make up a number right now, eighty billion dollars a month, they're gonna create sixty billion dollars a month for yeah. a couple of months, and, and that's what taper that means. Off, yeah. Exactly. Not. It's not they're decreasing the money supply. What they're doing is they are just increasing the money supply at a lower rate that, that that's all yeah. that's all that is happening and and most i think that the big issue that that the big debates all the way back from from the from the great depression and i guess late 800s is uh outstanding debt everyone's concerned about that uh if you guys some of you guys know uh history about the the silver rights brian do you remember the the brianites in the late 1800s the big issue was always why they wanted silver instead of uh, instead of uh, gold. It's because there's a bunch of outstanding debt that mm. uh, expansion in monetary policy makes it easier for debtors to make to to make back those payments. And yeah. that's really what's behind all this. And inflation, it's really not going to change the minds of uh, this sort of let's say pressure groups or. Uh, that okay, yeah, prices are gonna get high. Well, yeah, but I can pay, and that's that's no different than Argentina. Everyone, it's happy to have a uh, expansionary policy because everyone's getting uh, subsidies from uh, from from whomever is in charge. So whatever inflation is, the government just literally just creates more to try to cover all their commitments, uh, all all their electoral commitments, which is kind of, if you wish, what is happening right now, which is just expansionary policy to cover yeah. electoral commitments that were done, you know. And a this, year ago or so. Well, this is all, you know, described in even in 
even greater detail in you know Austrian business cycle theory, where the people who benefit first from the expansion of the money supply are those who are carrying debts, namely people like the government and the banks and so on. I mean, that's the whole that is the whole point. Those who have the capacity to make the loans and to or to take out loans in order to do what they want and then create the money with which to pay it back. Well, you know, but the there is not an immediate effect upon the price levels. And see, I think this is the this is the confusion that a lot of people seem to have about, you know, there's inflation and then there's inflation. OK, what I what I think that what most people think of in terms of inflation is really symptomatic of what is real inflation. And that's what we understand through Austrian econ and per, the, the correct theory of money supply, which is that in, real inflation is, to, is directly related to the amount of currency that is available. So the M0, M1, M2, if you recall those from your macroeconomics courses, those things swelling is what's real inflation. What happens symptomatically is the price levels change. And price levels ch prices will change for a variety of different reasons, as we know. You know, increased demand of something means that, you know, those tickets that you wanted for to go see Pearl Jam or whatever are going to be more expensive, you know, depending because on velocity, the demand. Yeah. Because velocity of, of uh, circulation. Sure. But but it's like it's not immediately the case to say, well, OK, because there's an increase in the price, that means it's inflation. Well, only it's an increase in the price level, but it's not necessarily inflation just because, you know, I mean, well, anyway, that, that's sort of the, the, the point that I think that a lot of people seem to miss and, uh, you know, as well. And so to keep that in mind and, and if you really want to, you know, kind of beef up your knowledge in this, go read things like what has the government done to our money by Murray Rothbard or a theory of money and credit by Lutheran banking Jesus. actually is pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's the inflation the inflation story for you. Uh, hopefully that makes some sense, and we'll provide some resources hopefully in the show notes to, so you can go learn more. But it really is incumbent on all of us to begin to understand better these types of economic vehicles and how things work. That's, well, it, and I just wanted to say one thing. You know, like um, a small business owner, and so I've been paying attention and tracking a lot of the. Uh, liquidity that the government has been pumping into the business sector uh, through COVID and the EIDL program. And what a lot of people are not aware of is that like the EIDL program actually quadrupled the amount of money available to businesses. And this money is, you know, it, it's, it's really easy to qualify for. You're yeah. qualifying for up to two years worth of working capital essentially at a 3.75 rate for 30 years payback. So it's <laughs> essentially mortgage rates and mortgage payback on liquidity now. And two thirds or three fourths of that money hasn't even funded yet. Both the quadrupling of, uh, of that money hasn't actually started to reach the businesses yet hasn't mm. started to reach and i think it's like 150 billion dollars and again we're talking trillions of dollars these days B billions of dollars what's that no big deal but it's just interesting how there's all of these different places around the structure of production and in the economy that there's this targeted liquidity being pushed into and it's easier money that hasn't been available before. It's been very unusual for businesses to qualify for these kinds of dollars at these rates with these payback structures in the past. And so I, I think that's just one example of like, 
many, many different hidden vehicles of targeted liquidity injection into the economy that this started over a year ago, but some of this money has yet to even hit the beginning of the economy. Oh, oh and, and, and I, I want to add, this is the, the big issue, and a lot of people would like to deny it, but it's straightforward. Usually when there's monetary expansion, it takes long for consumer prices to rise because, as you said, it, it gets targeted to different stages of production. They're way before uh, consumption. That stimulus checks, which oddly enough, I think most Austrians Austrians would say, actually, those ones are nowhere near as bad as as the, the, the target liquidity at early stages of production because it, it lets you see the inflation right away. Why? Because as soon as families get uh get extra extra income are going to go spend it, and that immediately beats up prices uh and you can immediately see everybody can immediately see it uh the one behind it expansion through the financial markets and all that takes time and starts changing yeah. the way that we produce stuff and there's not enough time or resources to actually finish all those long-term projects that we'd never know if we're going to have enough resources you know in a couple of years and then we have recessions because of that yep so yeah look out look out below because uh, that's <laughs> that's uh the chickens are going to come home to roost sometime. Buy Bitcoin. And, and oh. Yeah, so yeah, buy <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin. There you go, baby. And uh, yeah, new all-time high. Woo! All right, but <laughs> <laughs> all right, but on from there, uh, we wanted to we wanted to address something else tonight that uh, we thought was pretty interesting, and this is the main reason why we wanted to make sure that we got Jason Rink on our show today. And, and that has to do with some analysis that he did recently and presented, and we will, we will make sure the link is available to you below, uh, on, on the Libertarian Party victories, or aren't they, uh, <laughs> that, that occurred in the latest election this, uh, this cycle, um, just a week and a couple days ago. So, Jason, kind of introduce how you got interested in this particular story and what you kind of uncovered through it, and then we'll talk about some of the lessons, I think, learned after that. Yeah, you know, I, what what kind of got me down this road is I've been listening to a lot of conversation that's happening in friggin' libertarian nerd world uh, <laughs> that the regular world is not we're all even, part of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's been this conversation that's been going on between sort of the there, there's been this conversation of the the old school LP, the like Mises Caucus LP, and then some other guys that are kind of in the post libertarian. Uh, Mises GOP side of things where it's sort of a discussion of strategy, like what are we going to do when it comes back to uh, taking electoral seats back and, you know, how do we take the power back, so to speak, to move things back towards liberty and, you but, know, but can you define something real quick, though, just for, for the uh, for this potentially uninitiated and, and to make yeah. sure that I even understand this better when you say post libertarian. What in the world are you talking about, man? Well, so so there there's there's a there's a group of of people and uh, numerous podcasters who have some audiences, right? And it's people I would I would classify people like Tho Bishop with the Mises Caucus uh, with the Mises Institute and Pete Quinones with the Libertarian Institute, guy like Buck Johnson who's got a podcast and you know a number of these guys um, who. I, I like all these guys. I think they've got, all got some interesting ideas and they're sort of pushing a conversation that I think is going to be squarely in the Hoppian side of, of, you know, 
libertarian thought okay and even guys who are bringing up the like monarchist arguments right like how you know it's kind of the democracy the god that failed sort of idea and to i apologize if i'm not actually explaining this appropriately to those that i'm bringing into this conversation <laughs> but the point is is that there is an argument to be made and it's an argument that i've been looking at for the last few years which is that number one um in order to actually secure liberty for ourselves we may actually have to examine how we would take the levers of power back meaning we can't surrender the levers of power and allow them to be utilized on us for a cause that is not liberty which is what's happening right now and so you can you can argue whether or not we should be politically involved in trying to take the levers of power back and what it means to get into office and all that stuff that's a side note but to the degree that you believe that we should be engaging in politics and trying to get libertarians or liberty-minded people elected to office right to make an impact if you believe that then the question is what is the most effective vehicle to do that? And I would say, um, given what's transpired over the last couple of years, can how quickly can we do it? Because I think we've seen an acceleration towards, you know, big government tyranny and, uh, you know, the annihilation of liberty um, through many different things that have happened. And so what okay, I so that's that's a good backdrop then. So where where does the L, how does this LP analysis kind of fit into it then? Well, the analysis is because there's a bit of a debate that says, hey, we should try to use the LP, the Libertarian Party, as the vehicle in order to take these seats, right? In order to, you know, use that the ballot access Old and all that lever. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and and the Libertarian Party came out after the recent election last week. And their headline was Libertarian Party shatters records as unprecedented number of libertarians are elected to office. And this idea that there's some mass rejection of the two party duopoly. And we're seeing that because of all these libertarian wins. And so um, what I what I just was saying was like I was like, well, what are the real numbers here? Because um, I, I don't know. And, and look, I'm the guy who's followed libertarian politics, but I've never really looked at the results. What I see here feels a little bit like spin to me, frankly. And by the way, I don't think the incentives are there for people who really want to promote the LP as the ideal vehicle to actually put, take this data that I've looked at and show it and be like, hey, here's the real results, right? And so that's what I did. I dug into 100 races. There was over 150. I don't know how many there were, but I looked at 100 races and I was looking at the races of people that won, by the way. So I was just looking at the list of, of winners. That's what they posted. And as I started breaking it down, what I found, found was that 84% or 84 out of 100 of these races in the states that had races, they were, un, they were unopposed seats. Now, many people who've been around the Libertarian Party for a long time been are familiar with the fact that they're like, yeah, we got to run for constable and everything. And and I'm not saying that you don't need to. Uh, I'm not disagreeing with filling yeah. every seat at every level and especially the local levels with liberty minded or libertarian people. That's great. But what I will take issue with is this idea that the LP is what people are even choosing. No. In fact, what I'm seeing is that if you have a name only one name on the ballot, 
that person will win. And it doesn't matter what the letter is next to their name. And in fact, once you start seeing a competitor with an LP candidate for any seat at any level, even those low levels, the LP candidate almost always wins or excuse me, almost always loses to any other party candidate. And so what my contention is, is that the LP designation isn't necessarily helping anything. And in fact, may potentially be hurting the chances of a candidate to get into office. And frankly, that it might be better off to take those exact same people and bring them in through the GOP because they're more likely as they get political experience to rise to those higher uh, levels where there is competition because the higher elected seats have competitors because there's more power, there's more money, there's more influence. There's all of the reasons people go into office that we hate, it's, it's more present there. And so the competition's stiffer. And so when you get stiffer competition, it's very rare for a libertarian to actually win the seat. And so when we get into the discussion of what's the optimal vehicle, what I'm saying is if you're going to take over auditor and constable and mayor of a city of 1500 people, like it doesn't really matter what party you run in for some of these seats. And in fact, some areas of the country, you're going to be better off running a GOP strategy. And so like uh, Buck Johnson is talking about running for mayor of Lockhart, Texas. He's a libertarian. But he's going to do that as a Republican candidate in order to win. And yeah. you know what's funny? He's a guy with a popular podcast, like in, in libertarian niches. He's got a good chance of putting a little bit of a coalition together to actually become a mayor of Lockhart, but probably not as the LP candidate. And so I just think that what I broke down in what was about a 45-minute video, I think, should bring us to a discussion of saying, hey, are we interested in in preserving the LP as the vehicle for bringing candidates who have liberty minded ideas? Or let's just be honest, when we look at some of the most liberty minded candidates that have had any success at any level, we're going to be talking about people like Ron Paul and Thomas yeah. Massey and guys who, fr frankly, and by the way, I'll even throw something in there, too. There was another race that happened with that wasn't a libertarian. This guy, Edward Durr, who is a Republican and he's not a libertarian at all, but he was the truck driver who spent two hundred dollars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Listen, that, that guy's not a libertarian. OK, but he managed to unseat like a, a, a Democrat, like the guy who was the state house head or whatever in, in, a, in New Jersey. And he did it with almost no budget. And being a guy who like just was running as a Republican, taking advantage of this shift that happened. I'm going to tell you right now, Ed Durr doesn't take that seat running as a libertarian candidate. And so I'm saying, hey, like, what if we could cultivate our own candidates and said, we're going to navigate through the party system, which is designed to keep LP candidates out. I don't care how long we've had ballot access, um, you know, and we can talk about whether or not the strategy for the LP is better for us to say, hey, listen, let's get a guy like, uh, by the way, this is um, just a strategy, a theory, right? Um, but like if the LP wants to run a guy like Dave Smith for president, he's a guy who can get onto the Tim Pool show and Joe Rogan and spread the liberty ideas. He's not going to become president. I think that's useful. Not saying yeah. it isn't. But this idea of 
moving through the system of lower level offices through the LP to one day get the higher offices, I think is a bit of a myth. And by the way, I don't really think we have the time to wait for all of the constable candidates to uh, spend the next 15 to 20 years getting to the point where they can maybe run and win a state house race. Okay, so, okay. oh, Jason, can, can I interrupt? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little aside parenthesis, um, if, it, if it helps at all. Uh, the state uh, where I grew up uh, in Mexico, Nuevo Leon, the last two governors have not spent a dime on TV. Both hard and both last governors have been what you can consider uh, social media personalities, influencers. Yep. And is the most, most uh, prominent state. In Mexico, just to give you guys a point of reference. If that I think that's a really important. That is in Texas. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea. I think, and listen, I think we're in the. I would argue that Obama was actually the first celebrity president. Really, he kind of had a celebrity cachet to him. <laughs> Trump unquestionably was a celebrity president. I think we're in the era of. How was Ronald Reagan not a celebrity president? He was. You're right. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah. No. Sorry. Got to yeah. stomp you there. <laughs> but but the idea is, is that I think when you talk about that idea, it's like, hey, yeah, maybe we should be looking at how do we take and recruit these micro celebrities and influencers who have got powerful platforms and are going to adopt the the, you know, the LP uh, position and possibly then utilize the LP to do that. Of course, I would argue that same person based on their platform could do it for any party and probably still have the same or better result. So, but I I do think we need to think differently about what it means to try to to approach political strategy. And I think there are people who are being inflexible about how this thing might go down. Like there may be numerous strategies at numerous levels in different geographies that are going to be necessary in order yeah. to see liberty-minded people prevail and try to put a tourniquet on you know, the bleeding that's been going on for many de years and decades at this point. Well, okay. I, that, that I, I cool think thing. I think it's no secret that libertarians can be their own worst enemies. And, <laughs> you know, you've got you've got factions within the LP to begin with. Uh, um, and now you have these, you know, as you call them, post post libertarian Mises GOP guys, <laughs> you know, uh, and I have a I have a great deal of respect for uh, for uh, Pete Canonius. Um and so you know it seems to me that libertarianism and you know Austrian economic theory is based on this idea that um, it is liberty is multifaceted, right? Mm -hmm. And our decisions, our strategies, all of these things are going to be multifaceted necessarily. So there isn't a single strategy that's going to work. We aren't central planners. We can't centrally plan liberty. We cannot centrally plan our way back, you know, into political power or at, you know, into political power at all. So, you know, I kind of wish that libertarians would just sort of cool their heads a little bit. <laughs> Um, because, hey, uh, there's no single approach. We can't actually yeah. be libertarian and think that there is one way to do it. I think that something that Jason brought up, and, and I, I want to 
I, I just want to emphasize this particular point. I, if we're going to be, and, and, and actually let me preface this by saying that in as much as, you know, the Libertarian Christian Institute is concerned, right? We're, we are not advocating for any particular candidate or even for voting itself when it comes down to it. But in as much as the LP's presentation of the data is concerned, I think, and, and this, this is, I don't know, maybe this is just me on my, my own uh, soapbox, but I'm increasingly uh, disgusted by the kind of verbal, uh, verbal abuse, if you will, uh, or misuse of words in order to describe what is happening. I think it's important to, you know, when we, when we like, let me, let me, let me say this, actually, that this is a good way of putting it. When, when the, when this, when Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, he's saying more than just, you need to, you need to, you know, uh, stick true to your commitments or something like that. Uh, I think if you start looking into the theology there, that there's a sense in which the, the, the more important sense that is being spoken of there is that we are to be we need to disabuse ourselves of the notion that it is important to manipulate others through our language to get what we want and it's not about even just saying you know uh like because you can use the truth you can weaponize words any number of ways and this to me is where the lp is making a mistake in that if we're gonna if we're presenting it yeah sure we had a 150 victories or whatever okay great you know that but let's not let's not confuse ourselves or delude ourselves into thinking wrongly about what the input import of all of this is and i i've i've long been a you know uh an advocate of you know i i love this phrase of this but uh something one of my buds at one of the founders of students for liberty uh, said years ago, he's like, we, our strategy has always been let a thousand flowers bloom. That's it. And that I thought was a great way of putting it. I don't, I don't know if he got it. He made up that up himself. You know, uh, Clark Ruper said that to me once. And I was like, you know what? I love it. That's exactly what it needs to be. But <laughs> this, it doesn't do us any good to delude ourselves about what is actually happening. Well, and I just want to say one thing I would actually potentially get behind a message where they were like, hey, guys, there's this one cool trick we can do. And yeah. if we do it, we can actually take over 10,000 seats next year. Here's That'd what's going to require. Right? And it's like, listen, they're all hyper local, small races, but nobody competes for them. But what if we freaking flooded it? And it's like and somebody was like, and this is what it'll cost. And I'm like, oh, yeah, fine. Great. Yeah, that sounds oh, great, so, right? What, a million bucks? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, but it's like, Build yeah. your platform, you know? Yeah, I, I'm down. But it's like, for it to be this sort of thing that I'm like, okay, yes. you know. Self-congratulatory. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They, and make it sound like the yellow waves happening. It's like, guys, that's not what's happening. And in right. fact, and, and this is more my point, is like, we've come out of a year and a half that if if the time would be ripe for the message of liberty you would think it would, it would be, be now. now yeah and it's like the results aren't that people are really turning more to liberty like i think we're we're seeing the pendulum swinging back hardcore to the red the red wing and by the way like i think trump 2024 
could be really it could be the guy they warned you about you know that yeah. didn't exist you know four years ago that's right and a thin-skinned egomaniac with nothing to freaking lose you know and so i i just think there's not a yellow wave happening let's be clear about it but what would be the most effective strategy you get as many liberty-minded people in places of import and uh have a platform of impact you know and so you know that's the point and i'm interested in figuring out how to create more liberty in our lifetime yeah. for me personally and the people i care about yep yeah hey, jason uh, I, I would uh i would thank you for bringing this up and uh, i think norman made me kind of like see an angle i hadn't seen before um we tend to say we have to be careful with the dark arts of rhetoric mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. can blind even yourself when you use rhetoric yeah, yeah. um Thanks for bringing it up. Now, my concern and I think it's that the this idea of criticizing openly the LP strategy, either from the Mrs. Caucus or from the no, no, uh, the other wing, whatever, whichever one it is, <laughs> it, it was really like if you're not if you're not doing my three things that I like and you're doing those things with the LP, then you're just wasting your time. Yep. And, and my response was, I'm sorry. And then again, uh, I'm going to repeat it every single day of my life. It's the division of labor and specialization says, no, <laughs> there's no conceivable way that you can know that this, this is a waste of time or not. I'm not saying that there's no objective truth or whatever, but there are a bunch of stuff that we cannot know. And that's why it's, it goes both ways. Some yeah. guys are saying, and, and I even heard Kinsella talk about this, you know what, I think Kinsella, who has been uh, an activist for years and years, said, you know what, I think actually what really matters is that we become wealthy and we literally buy our freedom or something like that. And and that's another strategy, honestly. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and there's another one that say work locally with, uh, with, the, with the Republican Party. I would say work locally no matter what. Uh, and another one would say no, uh, use the, the LP uh, infrastructure. For me, honestly, all of them have to be uh, uh, have to be used. I understand that for politics and for a lot of stuff that we can discuss later on when we have time, uh, there's some type of centralization uh, that is either gen form. It has to do with time preference. Uh, so I understand why there, there, there's pulls towards centralization because of the time preference issue. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 would, I would honestly just step and say, this the focus has to be upon let as many different strategies go and because there's no conceivable way that we can know ahead of time which is actually going to work or well, not and, and you got to look for those opportunities where you can make a difference you know i i i never thought that you know we would be in a position 10 years ago where it would be feasible to think that there was some some sort of redeemable value out of the freaking texas legislature but then David Simpson came and I don't know how, like, goodness gracious. I mean, you can't, you couldn't have asked for a better advocate for us. And, uh, and, and I, I just about, well, he's not a candidate anymore, so I can say that now. Right. Yeah. He's, you know, so the, the man is amazing. And, uh, and you, I'm not going to go into that cause we're out of time here, but, you know, look into history of, of, uh, you know, good old David. And I, I like, you just have to, you have to accept the fact that, yeah, like what you're saying, Aaron, is so, so true. You're not going to be able to necessarily anticipate where the opportunity is going to be, but you sure as heck need to be ready to take advantage of it when it's there. Yep. So 
that's I think you know perhaps a good way we can kind of end on on that note um, that there is no single path to <laughs> to victory here and uh, and you know to be prayerfully watchful over all of this stuff and just remember ultimately that you know when it comes down to it you know the the best we can sometimes do is just improve ourselves constantly and you know thereby like you're always gonna you always have the church guys that's your victory in the in <laughs> right now yeah so stick with stick with the body of christ and you're going to be all right sounds like a good plan i think it sounds yeah. like a good plan all right so that is that's been our episode tonight fellas thanks jason for joining us and to my to my friends carrie and aaron as always uh, we are the Libertarian Christianist, dude. Please like and subscribe our video. Blah 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 blah. This is what all the people do when they talk about their videos. Subscribe and, and check us out on on our. Uh, we have an, another podcast, the Libertarian Christian Podcast, and this is even now being produced in audio only form now. Uh, and so subscribe to that as well. Please leave us a review, leave us a like, leave us a comment. We do read everything, and we will try to respond if you have a question as well. So talk to us at, via our website. Come to visit us at libertarianchristians.com, and we will see you.